and welcome to the Mass Attack Podcast. This is episode 134. I am your host, Mitch, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Joe. Hello, Joe. How are you? I'm very good, Mitch. And yourself? I'm, I'm okay. We're about to get out of lockdown. Not to time this episode at all. Yes, it's good to hear. We're hopefully going to get out this weekend, so that is pretty crazy times, but that's not important right now. What is important is we are getting through this alphabet, the A to Zs of 2021, and we are up to the letter U. Yes. So you came up with this one, and that was? Universal Monsters, Mm. also known as the Universal Classic Monsters or the Universal Studio Monsters, but I'm just going to go with the simple Universal Monsters. No, that's cool. And I'm glad you did this because, I'll, I will, full disclosure, up until this weekend, I actually haven't seen one single Universal Monster movie. Really? Because I think I'd seen a couple in pieces, but I'd never actually sat down and watched a bunch of them. And now after the last, yeah, so the weekend and during the week this week, I've tried to catch up on a few of the classic ones that I guess considered to be the the birth of horror back in the 1930s. Yep. So initially when we were throwing around the idea of doing an A to Z again this year, which was way back in January, they had a special on YouTube where Universal's YouTube channel put these all up for free on YouTube. And I was like, that sounds like a great idea. We should do this for you. But fast forward now, you know, nine months later, they're not free on YouTube anymore, unfortunately. You do have to buy them or rent them on YouTube. But still, I was lucky enough to manage to find a couple through some not quite so legal methods. If you do want to actually see them legally, as I said, you can rent them through YouTube. You can rent them through Apple TV. And I think Google Play has them for rent as well. But basically, yeah, what they were is back in the 1930s, Universal Pictures or Universal Studios was one of the, probably the biggest of the movie producing studios around that time. No, they were a small company. They just made B-movies most of the time. Well, they kind of became big. So maybe they weren't big at because that time. Because of these they, so films. They, they made B-movies and they sort of tapped in the, the genre, horror genre, and yeah, made their money out of that and became a bigger company now. Yeah. Like Transformers and those sort of things. Well, that's true. But yeah, at the time... Horror movies had been around, but the idea of making these sort of movies, because they, they started off, well, start at the beginning. So they started off making Dracula and Frankenstein were the first two that they class as being part of the overall collective of the Universal Monsters. And they really set the mold for what people expect Dracula to be. And it's been what many movies since has actually used as the prototype for for Dracula. So the the European slick back hair, very well dressed, rather than being the the crazy sort of vampire that you see in some other versions, Mm. it, it was what set the pace to be Dracula. Well, that's the thing. So we'll go through. The, pretty much 1931 was Dracula. Yep. They consider that the start of the um, Universal Horror Run, where there was a Phantom of the Opera, the Lon Chaney Phantom of the Opera before that, but I think that was in the silent era. So there were some before that aren't considered because there was a Phantom of the Opera not long after, but that was a Technicolor film. So they have made a few of those movies, but Dracula in 31 is considered the first, and the final film is The Creature Walks Among Us from 1956. So that is what is considered the Universal Monsters era. And there's something like 31 movies in that period. So it starts with Dracula, then it goes to Frankenstein, then The Mummy, The Invisible Man, 
Bride of Frankenstein, Werewolf of London, Dracula's Daughter, Son of Frankenstein, The Invisible Man Returns, The Mummy's Hand, The Invisible Woman. You notice there's a lot of sequels going on. A lot yes. of sequels. The Wolfman, Ghost of Frankenstein, Invisible Agent, Mummy's Tomb, Frankenstein Meets a Wolfman. And that is where we get the birth of the shared cinematic universe. Way before yes. Marvel, way before Godzilla, this is where the shared universe begins. Then we get Phantom of the Opera in 1943. So this is, you know, this is 12 years later now. Son of Dracula, The Invisible Man's Returns, The Mummy's Ghost, House of Frankenstein, The Mummy's Curse, House of Dracula, She-Wolf of London, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. This is where the shared universe meets comedy. See, I was going to say this is where the shared universe jumps the shark. but Well, I think it did in that middle period because everyone talks about those first, you know, five or so movies. No one really talks about the others, except they do talk about the Abbott and Costello movie. So there's Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, Abbott and Costello meet the Invisible Man. Then we get some return to form where we get a classic with The Creature from the Black Lagoon, Revenge of the Creature, Abbott and Costello meet the Mummy, and The Creature Walks Among Us, which is the third Creature from the Black Lagoon film. So that is what is considered the total of the Universal Monster movies. Now, like you're saying, these are the prototypes of the cinematic versions of a lot of these characters. Now, you you talked about Dracula being, that's when you see the European, well, you know, debonair with the accent and all this sort of stuff. It's because of the actor they chose for it. Yes. And also... That is the look. They didn't do Bram Stoker's Dracula. They did a version of the play that was around at the time because there was Nosferatu before that, which we've talked about on previous episodes. We and have, that had, yep. like you said, that more monstrous looking Dracula, where this is the yep. more Lothario sort of version. And that has become the standard for most Draculas to come since, like hmm. the Baron or whatever, the Count. You know, he's in the, you know, the robes. It's Sesame Street. Yeah, well, he is based again on him. The voice and the look is again based on this version's Dracula. And that was directed by um, Todd Browning, who also did Freaks, if you Yes, I didn't realise that when I watched it. When I watched it the other day, I, I saw the name and I was like, oh, he did do other movies other than just Freaks. So, yeah, so yeah. He, he did that. And Frankenstein was the next film, which, again, that was directed by James Whale. And that version of Frankenstein, the flat top and the sort of stitched together version of humans that was done for this movie. It's again, very loosely based on Mary Shelley's book, but yep. it has become the prototype for what Frankenstein looks like in most cases. Frankenstein's monster. Monster. Sorry. Yes. Yes. Well, it's not even Victor Frankenstein in the movie. It's Henry Frankenstein. So they didn't even go with that sort of version of it. So it's own take telling its story. And that look of Frankenstein's monster is the one that, Pretty much, if you see caricatures or reinterpretations, most of the time it's going to be that version with the flat top, the giant lumbering look. The Munsters, Herman is obviously exactly. based yep. on him. I haven't seen Young Frankenstein, but I just watched Frankenstein the other day. I actually had it in my shelf on my as a DVD. I bought it years ago and never cracked the plastic. So I cracked the plastic this week and watched that. I was impressed for, for what it was, what, 1932? No, that was 1931 as well. 1931 Uh, as well, yeah. And I was impressed with how it was made and all that and the special effects. The makeup was fantastic and everything, and it was quite interesting. And it is funny. Like, you can see things on YouTube of that where – how much of the story do you know of Frankenstein? Well, I've I've seen the 90s Mary Shelley Frankenstein. I haven't read any of the books. Kenneth Branagh and Robert De Niro. Is that that one? Robert De Niro, yes. And – Really, that that's kind of what I know about the original story of Frankenstein. But going back and watching this one, as you say, a lot of the tropes that you think of as 
Frankenstein come from this movie. So the the reanimation using the lightning, the fact that he's you know sewn together pieces of of recently deceased, that sort of stuff. All that comes from from this. Yeah. So the actors that they chose were kind of iconic from here on in as being the stalwarts of early horror. So you've got Bela Lugosi playing Dracula in Dracula and you've got Boris Karloff playing the monster, the monster. in the Frankenstein movie mm. as well. And when you think horror actors from years gone by, they're names that instantly come to mind. So Bela Lugosi, Boris Karloff, Lon Chaney. you've got Lon Chaney and Lon Chaney Jr. who went on to be like the Wolfman and, and a couple of other the other movies. But yeah, these, these are the originals when you talk about horror actors. Yes, but it's quite funny because we talk about them as horror movies and looking at this, it's not scary at all. Like I was not scared. But, you know, I've also seen movies since like Saw and The Exorcist and things like that. So it's not, it's very different. It's hard to watch. Like we've talked about the original King Kong back in the day. That was groundbreaking in watching this sort of thing. But funny, so you've watched this um, Frankenstein recently? Yeah, so I've I've watched Dracula and Frankenstein on the weekend and then I watched a couple more yesterday actually just in preparation for the recording. So we'll get to that in just a moment. It's meant to be horrific and I know it is because the story of Frankenstein is this monster is created, he gets free and he goes out and and in this version, because in, in the book, he can actually speak. It's quite poetic in the way he talks and all this sort of stuff. But this one is he's a, a beast, a, a mute beast who doesn't understand anything, is scared of fire and all this sort of stuff. So when he yep. escapes, he comes across this young girl who's... It's my favourite bit in the whole movie. And it's quite funny. And, and he's having a friendly time with it. And it's very of mice and men. I don't know, I don't know if they ripped it yes, off. Yes, I got that too. So this girl's being very friendly with him. It's like, oh, do you want to play with me? And he's like, and all this. And they get flowers and she gives him flowers and he gets all really good. And then and then she throws the flowers in the water and they float away and he thinks this is great. So he throws the water, throws the flowers in the water, which is really great too. And then he goes, oh, this is fun. I'll pick you up. And he picks up the girl and just throws her in the water. And it's, awesome, it's horrific. It? It's meant to be horrific because uh, it kills her, which is terrible. But yes. just the way it's filmed or the way you look at it now, this is meant to be a horror film and I know it's meant to be a horrific moment, but it's just piss funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's funny though because like after that, the father of the little girl sort of takes her corpse into town. That and is where it becomes rustles horrific. up a bit of a posse and then they're all chasing after the, the monster with their you know, pitchforks and torches and stuff. And as I was watching it, my 10-year-old sort of wandered through the room and and he was all like quite distraught. You know, why are they chasing him? What are they doing to him? Well, well, that's the thing as well. I mean, it was it was quite funny watching him throw this girl because obviously it's a movie. It's not real. I mean, yeah. the girl was real. He did throw her in the water, but she was fine, I assume. But, <laughs> I mean, it just looked funny to watch. It just looks, you know. Whereas the next scene is the dad carrying the dead body of his daughter down the street to the you yeah. know, the town. And I was like, no, nah, that was that was horrific. It's like, fuck, you wouldn't yeah. even see that in a lot of modern movies as well. You wouldn't see the body, essentially. So I was like, oh, okay, that's harsh. And you know, pretty much instigates the town, the stakes and the pitchforks and let's form a posse yeah. and hunt down the monster, which we've seen so many times since. It's interesting because, I mean, there was a, I mean, I am terrible at subtext. I'm pretty ordinary at text. <laughs> But I'm terrible <laughs> at subtext. And James Whale, the director of this, is a, was an openly gay film director back then. And he got on board to make this film and he used a lot of subtext and talking about the monster within and the non-acceptance of the of the other, that sort of thing. He was okay. using all those sort of things, which I never got, you know, and especially – and Bride of Frankenstein apparently it's even more so, which I watched last night. And again – I'm terrible at subtext because apparently the same thing with the Dracula movie. There was all the fear of the Jew 
was a lot of the subtext that was going on with, you know, this well-to-do European person coming over kind of thing. It was a lot of subtext going on there, which is, is a subtlety that we don't get in, you know, modern Michael Bay movies per se. We well, get exactly. Romeo and Juliet, get, Juliet laws, you know, that's important, yeah. but that's not even something. But that, and they have to explain it. <laughs> yeah. This was post the Hayes Coat in the 30s? Uh, during, during the Hayes. During, yeah, because yeah. I, I think in, in some of the earlier horror movies, they were a bit more sexualized, whereas in the Dracula movie, they kind of tease that the, the act of Dracula biting the women is kind of a sexual thing, but oh. they don't really go there. Yeah, and very much so. Like the whole, they tie it in. Like it's a very sexual character now. And I'm, I mean, when he was bestial in like Nosferatu, it was not sexual at all. But in this version and subsequent versions, the whole sharing of bodily fluids and connection and all this sort of stuff, it's 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 become that. And apparently um, yeah, in one of the earlier Dracula sequels, there is a very strong lesbian undertone going on the daughter of dracula or one of those so yeah Yeah. it's like okay so there was a lot going on back then and obviously hollywood was very different time became a lot more conservative probably during the 40s and 50s but it was a lot more open before that but yeah it's a very different time so yeah the dracula frankenstein first two one one year those two movies come out obviously do gangbusters Universal. Next one is The Mummy. Which I actually watched yesterday. So, yep. Oh, okay. Now, I haven't seen it. All I've seen is the Brendan Fraser remake. And when I say remake, you know, another Mummy movie. Because I was surprised when I saw the Brendan Fraser ones. They were fun adventure romps, you know, a la Indiana Jones sort of thing. Yes. But to me, a mummy was a dude in bandages. Yes. And, And there was not much of that in the Brendan Fraser version. But going back and I've watched a bunch of YouTube clips and that looking back at the universal monsters and it's like, yeah, there was, it's only a small part of the movie from what I gather. Like he, it's him in, him in affairs. Yeah. yeah. It is Boris Karloff getting around with kind of horrific sort of makeup, making him look really, really old, but mm. yeah, he's only ever in the, the actual you know, bandages and stuff in a couple of scenes when they're kind of having a flashback for how he died, because the whole story is, you know, people are opening up the pyramids and they find this sarcophagus and, there's talk of a curse and then Boris Karloff comes around and talks about the past and as it turns out he is an immortal character that was once punished by the pharaohs for trying to steal something out of one of the graves and he was mummified himself and put in the tomb but some of the things in this as as you say they say it's a horror movie but it's probably an hour into an hour and 10 minute movie before there's anything really horror-ish. He does kidnap a young woman and and tries to turn her into almost like a Cleopatra-type bride character. But yeah, there's not a lot of horror in this. And when I think of the mummy, I think of the lumbering sort of bandaged up mummy with his arms hanging out, moaning and groaning. But there's not really any of this in in this movie okay because yeah i haven't seen it so i had no context so when i watched the mummy movie with brendan fraser it was like oh yeah this was a fun movie yeah. by all reports it seems to be a lot there that emma hotep and all that sort exactly. of stuff going yeah. on and yeah so like, oh okay so it's based i don't know if it's based on a classic story or anything I, or this was I an original idea is. as opposed to okay yeah so so that was you know again an iconic mummies have become a horror trope yeah. not really i mean in obviously we got the Brendan Fraser remake, but I don't remember too many other mummy movies. It's not like vampires or Wolfmen movies have been remade well, a lot more since. I don't. There's not too many mummies from what I can gather. In the classic, but it was still it's classic heyday of WCW wrestling back in the sort of 
was it late 90s, early 2000s, we had the Yeti, which was a big dude wrapped in bandages that, that came to attack Hulk Hogan at one stage. And I think mm. they cut off one of his fingers in a match and sand poured out of the hole. So, of course. Yeah. That, that, that was when wrestling was was truly wrestle crap. Yeah, it's quite funny because yeah. you say Yeti. It's like, what's a Yeti got to do with the mummy? I have no idea. But in I, I just don't think they had the rights to call him the mummy. In the third Brendan Fraser um, mummy movie, they go to Tibet and there is a Yeti. There are Yetis in that movie, so I don't know what that connection to, but yeah, okay, maybe there's something there. I don't know. Maybe they were big wrestling fans or Jet Li fans. I don't, I don't know. So you've got the mummy and then we got onto the invisible man and that's Claude Rains from memory. Yes. And this is the other one I watched yesterday okay. as well. So this was 1933. And I've looked at some footage and of that and the special effects are pretty cool because he's got the bandage, that of- iconic bandage yep. look where you know it's it's a dude in a suit with bandages on his face and the hat and glasses and you know obviously he's invisible when he takes all that off but you know in 1933 special effects you can't do a lot but i'm not sure how well it goes they, they did it really well though so uh, this was actually probably my favorite of the ones that i watched purely for the fact that it was cutting edge technology i, I think it was green screen because you can kind of see where he is when he's got the, you know, originally when he's taking off the bandages. But then some of the scenes that follow that, he's throwing things around and like tripping people over and just generally causing a bit of mischief to start with. But he gets more full on and more violent as it goes along. But in those first couple of scenes where he's just, you know, invisible, the actual special effects, he's like making, you know, glasses fly around and things in this bar move around and it's done really really well for a 1933 movie and i found it really entertaining well you're saying green screen i don't think green screen existed like chroma key i don't think it I did don't know. I, that's, I, so i'm yeah i'm intrigued to know how they did it i i might investigate that a little bit more because i I've, like i said i watched a couple of youtube clips that talked about bits and pieces and there's a scene where he's taking the bandage off and there he is there's obviously a person and the bandage is coming off and there's yeah. no head there. And it's like, how do you do that? Yeah, because you can see the body with the shirt sort of walking around until he takes the shirt off and stuff. So I, I assumed it was green screen. I think that's chroma key. I don't think that existed in film in 1933. So, yeah, that's interesting. But, okay. yeah, so The Invisible Man has been done a couple of times in different ways. There's been comedy takes and Chevy Chase did memoirs of an invisible man in the mid-90s. Yep. So that that's interesting. And then we have Bride of Frankenstein, which is the one I watched last night. And it's sort of interesting take because you've watched Frankenstein, yeah? So it actually started off with a guy walking out on stage to talk to you as the audience, breaking the fourth wall, sort of don't get scared. We apologize. You know, this is a horrific tale, blah, 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 which is quite weird. And then the in Bride of Frankenstein, it starts off with this really pompous dork and talking to Mary Shelley, who wrote you know, the Frankenstein novel. Okay. And they're chatting away, going, oh, so fascinating what you did and this and that. And then it's like, well, that's not the end of the story. It's like, what do you mean? It's like, oh, there's more. I was like, oh, I'd love to hear it. And then she starts talking and we get the sequel because it starts off saying that, you know, Frankenstein's monster didn't die in the fire at the end. And he sort of goes on this journey. So he sort of escapes and he ends up meeting a, so you've got, oh, I think it's Henry Frankenstein again, the doctor, but one of his old teachers comes and talks to him and he's just as nuts as him. And they're going, ah, oh, remember what we were working on? Let's keep working on that. So that story sort of going on, that they're still working on something. And then you've got Frankenstein out, the monster going out, doing his thing. And he ends up meeting up with this blind hermit and he becomes his friend and he starts to learn to speak and that so he's got a bit more emotion a bit more intelligence going on um and he talks about being alone and that's what frankenstein doesn't want to be alone and he ends up going back to 
Dr. Frankenstein. So I want a mate. And that's where the iconic, very iconic look of the Bride of Frankenstein with the big hair and the zigzag white patterns in her hair and all that sort of stuff. And I thought yep. that would be a big part of the movie. It's not. She's hardly in it. She doesn't say anything. Spoilers. Okay. But, yeah, it's only in the last... 10 minutes or so, she pretty much rejects him. So he goes, fuck this. No one can have anything. And he destroys them all. It's like, oh, okay. And, and there's a lot of subtext in all this sort of stuff. Now, obviously, books would have done a lot more. Um, the Invisible Man is like, if you can't see yourself in the mirror, you know, you, you can get away with anything or you, you lose your humanity. And that's what all the Invisible Man storylines generally are about going mad, getting more and more violent and angry. And that's what happens in this movie as well. He starts off just sort of the fact that he's – a science experiment that's gone wrong or something that turns him invisible. And through the course of the movie, he's trying to find a cure, but because people are treating him badly, he then you know escalates his own violence against them. Actually, there's one stage where, as I said, it starts off, he's just sort of menacing people in the pub that he's staying in. But as it goes along, it gets a lot worse. And he ends up throwing a dude off a cliff at one stage. And there's another bit where he like drives a car off a cliff. And in typical cinema fashion, as soon as it hits the ground, it just bursts into flames. And I was like, oh, so they were doing that even back in the 30s. So. But just a, a quick little aside, I've, I've just looked up the wiki about how they filmed The Invisible Man, and apparently they filmed it in an all-black set that was covered in velvet, and he was wearing a black velvet sort of costume underneath the clothes that he was wearing, and they filmed that, and then they overlaid that film on top of the okay. other film to make it look like he was... Yeah, so essentially the same idea as yeah. chroma key, or blue screen, green screen, but yep. yeah, obviously that... Didn't have that same technology. Interesting. Yeah. So, so, so it was, it was weird again. And James Whale came back and directed this. And it was a lot of subtext again. It was all about alone, acceptance, betrayal, all that sort of stuff. Now, I haven't seen it, but I heard it's very, very good. Going back to Brendan Fraser again, but there is a movie, I think it's Ian McKellen and Brendan Fraser called Gods and Monsters. And it's about James Whale's last, uh, I don't know if it's the last, you know, year of life or whatever like but basically he was a uh, he had a young man live with him i don't know if it was a couple or he was just in love with him and that's a brendan fraser character and it was all about that so yeah um that's that's apparently a very good film if you want to check out that sort of thing so we moved on we had the werewolf of okay. london which i don't know anything about because there's the wolf man which is a famous one dracula's daughter we're going on now we've got son of frankenstein invisible man returns mummy's hand invisible Woman. we're just going down sequel 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 and from what i gather diminishing returns so i I haven't seen any of these. I don't really know anything no, of any of these, neither. so I'm not going to talk about them essentially because I don't know. Oh, there's not. I thought there was one just called the Wolfman, but there isn't. So maybe the Werewolf of London is that first Wolfman. Oh no, there is. There's a Wolfman in 1941. So that's probably the iconic one yep. that they did. So I, I think Lon Chaney Jr. played the Wolfman in the the Wolfman film that came out in the 40s. So yeah, and then yeah. again, that's so until we get the creature of the great black lagoon, which is not for another 13 years or something. This is the definitive yep. the monster squad, if you want to pull it that. So when you look at things, and and, and oh, let's just or we'll jump to the um, creature of the black lagoon now. So that was later on a very different take. Like yep. um, you got Jekyll and Hyde and those sort of things. There's a lot of classic novels that have been interpreted in these movies. Phantom of the Opera, Quasimodo. What's that one? Hunchback and Notre Dame. You know, there were there were a lot of early ones before this as well. So these were, from what I can gather, classic stories reinterpreted, maybe modernized. Yep. Just like the Invisible Man had a car and that sort of stuff. Because when H.G. Wells wrote it, it was obviously before that time. It was Creature from the Black Lagoon, which was sort of like the modern science age, science fiction ish version of a horror movie. It was sort of like that, not a, a later version. It was yep. more pulpy. 
And I've seen a lot of scenes from this sort of movies. I don't think I've actually seen the whole thing. It was in 3D, so it was obviously in that gimmicky time as well. But the underwater sequences are amazing. The Gill Man's suit is amazing. Again, it's it's playing with a lot of subtext as well. It's like this monster that's being, you know, essentially created by not toxic waste, but, you know, they didn't talk about it at the time, but, you know, man sort of created this creature and then hunted it and killed it. It was, it did the whole King Kong thing where it fell in love with a woman, but you've got these great underwater sequences, like a ballet almost. And the the, the suit was great. The fact that it looked good and was functional and a dude could swim under there and do all the scenes in this suit underwater. Safely, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so I haven't seen this either, but I have seen that YouTube clip that was doing the rounds a few years ago, which is just all the scenes of the creature smashing oh, yes. stuff and basically him <laughs> fuck going, shit. fuck, fuck this guy, guy. Fuck, fuck that guy, death. fuck this lamp. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, and I watch that on a regular basis because yes. it makes me laugh. But yeah, I yep, so, so so essentially that is your core main cast or characters that is the Universal Monsters. Now, yep. yeah, so that was like fifty three. Did I say was? 54, it 54. Was, yep. And with the advent of television, I dare say, content was king. And if you could put stuff on and it seemed that there was a bit of a renaissance in the 60s because that's when a lot of toys came. Yeah, so 60s and 70s, it, it, I think it was spurned on originally by the fact that the movies were being shown again mm-hmm. on TV. But it just became a bit of a, a marketing and merchandising. Yeah, so there were model kits, Halloween yeah. costumes. Sort of mega. Everything. Yeah. And it was all about the marketing, Yeah, like you said. So because model kits were a big deal. I forget the name of the brand, but they were huge. So you, they were clipped together, you know, like your models, you make your cars or your aeroplanes, whatever. They did that. There was the toys. Yep. There was everything. So there was – they really – bought into it now i don't know what rejuvenated was it was tv was it drive-in it was that time when obviously post-war everyone you know disposable income of children it's a big deal that's why pop music becomes big all this sort of stuff so it's like what are kids into that's right that so in the 60s it seemed to be crazy and then we got cartoons like the groovy ghoulies but that's what i was going to bring up as well because we've kind of toyed about the groovy ghoulies a lot on this podcast in the fact that I kind of like the Groovy Ghoulies, but every time I mention it, you I get fucking angry because always show that you don't like it because yeah, it's you a, get angry. It's a laugh track. But, but there would be no Groovy Ghoulies if there wasn't Universal Monsters. No, because you've got it's Dracula, it's Frankenstein, and the Wolfman. Yep, and a mummy. I and think, a mummy, well. exactly. Yeah, that's it. There's no Gilman or Gil Monster or whatever, but that's it. I mean, it's pretty much that's it, and the definitive version. They're based on those. Yeah, you know, and then we would have had Milton the Monster, which is essentially Frankenstein, Frankenstein yep. again. But again, yep, you mentioned it before, we had the Munsters sort of in the late 60s as well. The Adams Family, you can say. No, that was more based on the Adams Family comic. Well, strip. it was based on the comic, but I think that comic may have been influenced a little bit by the Universal Monsters as well. But yeah, the Munsters is purely that. I mean, definitely. Yeah. So your 60s sort of came out of that, and then it just it seems to have been popular ever since. And I think it's. A constant, and especially in America on the TV, is just like, because I, I mean, admittedly, he's older than me, but um, listening to the Gilbert Godfrey podcast, he waxes lyrically about these films. He knows a lot of stuff, the old Gilbert. Yeah. But this is one of his topics that he knows a lot about, Universal Monsters. Like, even the sequels, the, down the weird ones that you don't know about. He loves his Lon Chaney's and his, all that sort of stuff. So it seems to be a big deal bigger deal in america than here and it sort of just seems to be a thing well i think probably because halloween's a bigger deal in america than it is that's here. true yeah but also there was a magazine by forrest ackerman called 
Fabulous Monsters of Filmland, which was sort of like Fangoria, but a bit more nostalgic, but it wasn't, it didn't feel that like it was all about old, but it kept going for ages and people loved it. And there's little docos and YouTube clips about Forrest Ackerman. It's worth checking out. So he sort of kept those things alive. So I guess kids finding these things in comic books, and especially in the 50s and 60s, was something like, oh, this is this cool thing. So it seemed to be, and then we seemed to get remakes starting in the 70s, I suppose. There was yep. a Dracula remake and then there was comedies as well it started to come out and then there was weird different takes obviously the 70s was, was a lot more real and black exploitation version of dracula, oh, and dracula. dracula exactly there was uh and ha- well i suppose hammer horror started as well with the 60s into the 70s and that was a lot yep. more a lot more visceral in that way they love their blood and horror um you got your christopher lees and christopher Plummer, so they were playing your draculas and your van helsings and all those sort of characters so that was your sort of if we want to talk scar wave that might have been your second wave monsters but it wasn't <laughs> the universal they were they were dealing very much with those english sort of stories but they did a girl and pose so they did america as well but you just had those periods there and then we get into the sort of the 80s and we got werewolf movies like american werewolf in london which you know was a modern take on the classic it is still there and that, i suppose that's the one thing the wolfman is the one that's not based on a story where dracula sort of has a story you're based on same with frankenstein but the wolfman could be anything it's just you get bitten by a wolf you turn into a full moon that's the story everything else around that is your own character you can make it whatever you want so we had american wolf in london we had the howling they sort of came out very close together and there was a werewolf tv show in the mid to late 80s from memory with a guy with a you know, pentagram on his hand and all that sort of stuff. And I remember okay, loving I remember it and very that excited for it. But I think I heard it on, like, I listened to a podcast called Forgotten TV. And I think it lasted like 12 episodes. I thought it went forever in my head. <laughs> so werewolves were a thing for a while. Vampires were definitely a thing. I mean, you had the Lost Boys in the mid-80s and Near Dark. So there was a lot of shit going on there. Yeah. You had the, the classic Bram Stoker's Dracula, you had Interview with the Vampire and all the whole Anne Rice stuff. So your vampires were cool again for a little while. They were cool and they were always sexy. They'd never stop being sexy. I suppose Bram Stoker's Dracula, Keanu was sexy, but Gary Oldman was more true to the whole red eyes sort of thing. Wasn't Antonio Banderas in that as well? (sighs) No, he was in the interviews. He was Interview with the Vampire, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He was pretty sexy in that. Oh, yeah. Well, Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise, come on. Can't come on. And... And Christian Slater as the interviewer. Yes. God damn. Sexy as. Mm. And then we had your Frankenstein movies. Now, Frankenstein Unbound, I think was the name, as a Roger Corman, very low budget, as Roger Corman does, starring Australia's own Michael Hutchins in it. I never bothered. I think I may have hired it a couple of times and never got around to watching it. But yeah, I've interesting. But we also had different takes on that as well. So Lovecraft wrote a story called Reanimator which is sort of a his version of the Frankenstein myth in a way, where it's like reanimating corpses and the craziness that is. So we had the reanimator movie, which is highly questionable now. Well, it was questionable then. One scene in it, which is yeah, rather nasty. So it, it's always been thereabouts, and there's been no, never forgotten those versions of the character. Like yep. even the cereals, we don't get them yeah, in Australia, the, but you know, I, I you was just chocolate, about to mention blueberry, and yeah, they're, they're all there. Um, the Count from Sesame Street, like you said, which essentially t- takes us up to the Brendan Fraser Mummy movies, which was successful and did really well. Yep. And then we got the Van Helsing movie, and that's actually by Universal. So these are Universal monster movies now. Yes. We are in in the same franchise. We are, yep, these are ours, and we're going to make these movies again. And the first one did really well. It was a not a horror film, adventure film with horror elements, I suppose. But hmm. 
just more dread than horror. Supernatural sort of. Yeah. Um, and that did well with diminishing returns again. As every movie went on, it was sort of like, not as good as that first one. The director of that first one went on and made Van Helsing, which was pretty ordinary. You know, it was like the Wolverine himself, you know, Hugh Jackman in there, big budget. This was meant to be leading into more movies and TV show spinoffs and all this sort of stuff. And it was over the top, but just so, so silly. I remember bits of it going, what the hell? Because it had... It had Dracula's. I think it had Frankenstein's monster. A really bad hat on Hugh Jackman. Yeah. But there's a bit where he's frozen. I think Frankenstein, but he Frankenstein's monster, and he gives the plot over to uh, like Van Helsing when he captures him. This is what's going to happen, and this and this and this. It's like, when did you hear this? To get this exposition, did you just stand there while I explained it to you? What's going on? It was just so badly written and so badly made and it was just like, just totally missed the boat on that. Yeah, I don't think I've gone back to it since since I saw it originally. I saw it at the cinemas and that's it and it was just yeah. so bad. So that was another failed attempt to reboot this sort of thing. Then they tried to think, oh, we'll try, we'll try again, we'll start with it. And there was a subtle one. We're going to start a franchise here. We're going to start the new movies again. And they did a movie called Dracula Untold. And it was meant to be the start of a new cinematic universe with all these monsters. And it was a bombastic sort of Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings-ish sort of an epic movie and the origin of Dracula, which, okay, apparently is expensive and a bit shite. Or a lot shite, depending on who you talk to. I have not seen it because no, I heard I didn't it was shite either. and I didn't bother. And that was meant to be the start of something new, which they sort of just stopped talking about going, no, 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 that wasn't the plan at all. No, 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 there was no others. No, that's it. We, we don't talk about that. We're moving on. And then not long after, we had the start of the Dark Universe, which was the official launch of the new Universal Monsters shared cinematic universe. And this was big. This was big. They got Kurtzman, I think his name is. That's right. So one one of the writers from the X-Men franchise, and I think he was on the writer's pool for the Transformers franchise. So it's like, you're our Kevin Feige. We're going to make this movie. So they got together and they made their first movie, which was a remake again of The Mummy. And I think they were going to tie it in to the Brendan Fraser ones. Like that was meant to be the same sort of universe. You know, obviously there's 80 years apart. Part, but they were meant to be the same one. And Tom Cruise is the star, but he wasn't the mummy. He was just, I don't know what he was. Again, I have not seen this film because it came out to terrible reviews. Yep. Not only that, two weeks or a couple of weeks before the launch of this movie, they had a photo with Tom Cruise, Javier Bardem, Russell Crowe, and Johnny Depp saying, this is the start of the Dark Universe. And this is the first one, The Mummy. And Russell Crowe is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And Johnny Depp is the Invisible Man. And Javier Bardem is Frankenstein's monster. And it was like, oh, okay. So it was... It was big names. It was a big idea. And I was on board going, this could be fun. But they're trying to make a Marvel universe with Universal Monster. But what they missed was the point. Yeah. <laughs> like it was, yeah, from what all reports, it was like a Mission Impossible movie with the mummy. So it was a Tom Cruise vanity film without being good enough to keep going. Russell Crowe was, yeah, Mr. Hyde in that movie. So we got to see him in that film. And he was sort of like the Samuel Jackson 
the Nick Fury of the movie. He was going to tie them all together and be the link between all the movies. And yeah, it opened up to such terrible reviews that it was done. Because there was even rumours she wasn't in the original photo, but Angelina Jolie was going to be Bride of Frankenstein. There was all these big plans. But they they got the... There was a name recognition and massive stars. They were the two things they had. But yeah, they just didn't have the... I, no, I guess the, the first Mummy didn't make the success for well the the re- Mummy remake didn't make the success that they thought it was going to make and no. because of that people just gave up the idea I think yeah so it was just a, it was a mess and it died just hmm. before it began it was all like like Mel Meninga's politics career it just was that quick <laughs> yeah so so that was it and. That was pretty much it for a while. But what's happened is Universal essentially sold the rights of the um, Universal movies. They've, they've moved them on to Bloomhouse. Now, I don't know what you know about Bloomhouse. Only what you've mentioned on the podcast before. Okay. So it's a low-budget movie studio that sort of churn out really cheap movies, but they're good. I think that's where um, Get Out came from and those sort of things. Okay. So we're talking five, seven million dollar movies. Not big budgets, not big name stars, just good story is king go and make a little movie and you can take some risks with those sort of films because they don't cost a lot they're not 140 million dollars and that's where the first one to come out about two years ago i think it is now which was the invisible man directed by australia's own lee winnell it's apparently really really good so again no 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 big name stars the concept is there and it's apparently a horror film not an adventure film not an action film a horror film and it's quite scary isn't it? yes i've just realized i have actually seen this so yeah and he's there to stalk his ex-girlfriend which is horrific like it's a concept it's scary and daunting and all those sort of things and that's what these movies should be can you make a shared universe out of this i don't know should you if you want to make money sure why not but yeah um they are essentially they're horror it's in the title <laughs> you know they're horror yeah. movies but you know the mummy was an adventure movie the remake was an adventure movie. Yeah, it's, it's it sort of seemed to miss the boat. I didn't watch Dracula Untold, but it sounded like it was an epic. You know, it was an origin film of how mm. Dracula came to be. But I think they tried to, oh, he's doing bad stuff, but only to for good reasons kind of thing. Now, I don't know. This seems to be a Disney trope at the moment. They seem to be turning all their villains into their own movies. The Maleficent is like, uh, yep. ever since Wicked. I don't know if Wicked started this, but it's like, oh, the bad one's there. But there's a reason they're bad. They're not all bad. And I watched um, Cruella for some weird twist um, last week. So did I, actually. Yeah, it's great. The soundtrack's but, awesome. Yeah, but I couldn't get it in my head how that's the same character from the cartoon movie. Because, again, yep. she's a villain, but oh, but she's not. She didn't really kill those dogs. And she's, you know, and all this sort of stuff. So it was very strange in that way. And if you want to have a horror movie, that's like, at least with The Mummy, the, Brendan Fraser's the hero. But the mummy is still the bad guy. And, yeah, so I, again, watching Tom Cruise, it was, from what little I've seen, because it's been on telly a few times, it feels like you're watching Mission Impossible. It's Ethan Hunt versus the Supernatural, as opposed to this is a mummy movie. And they missed the boat. But maybe with Bloomhouse, maybe we can build on something here. It's like The Invisible Man, apparently, very good. It's like, there yes. you go. That's, that's your base. Let's make a good, scary movie. It's mm. very much a psychological thriller. Yeah, and then maybe that's what it should be. And again, it goes back to those sort of things. It's like it's all about that's what the Invisible Man was all about psychological. It's like, what, 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 and they did the Hollow Man, I think, in the early 90s with Kevin Bacon and his dick. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say starring Kevin Bacon's wang, but yes. Yeah. Because I remember the opening sequence of that. That was by Verhoeven, who did Lost Boys. 
to go back to that, there's an opening bit where they're doing this experiments and they there's a gorilla and they give it the invisibility serum and it breaks out. And it's a great sequence. It's horrific in the fact that you're in this laboratory with an invisible gorilla that's fucking angry chasing people. It's like, you cannot get it. This, this thing's strong. This thing's mm. quick. This thing's angry. That's fucking scary. And that's that, you know, and the basis of that. And then Kevin Bacon gets, gets naked, gets his dick out, gets invisible and then goes around. And and I think the tagline or what, you know, it's like, it's amazing what evil you can get up to when you don't have to look at yourself in the mirror anymore. You, you yeah. don't see yourself. You lose that humanity. There's all that sort of shit that goes with the psychological thriller and the fact that yes, he's a, He's, he's psychologically tormenting his ex-girlfriend or whatever, but there is also that element of what makes you the monster. And, and you go back to the old Frankenstein, the old Dracula, there is stuff there as opposed to just your 70s horror movies, Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Friday the 13th and those sort of things where it's just like body counts. It's, it's a different type. You know, it's, a, it's not, not as cerebral in that way. It's got its own merits and values, but yeah, it's very different types. And, you know, it, it, those old things are there to be worked on and if you just tap into the right bit going all right let's modernize it if we have to but what is it that makes it scary and it's not just jump frights or gore no things there's, there's are no horrific gore to it. yeah for a while there i was being wanky and it's like what's your favorite horror movie i always say blue velvet and it's mm. just that because it's kind of real yeah you know, in the same way that, you know, something like True Romance is kind of horrific because if you get in that situation, that that scares me. <laughs> it's like that is something I could stumble into potentially, you know, where a giant reanimated corpse of a monster isn't. But it's all about being alone, being an outcast, all that. Those are the things you can tie into. All righty. Well, that is pretty much the story of the Universal Monsters. I'm sure we've left stuff out and I'm sure we've probably misinterpreted, as you said, some of the other things in there. But it's Interesting to think that something that's almost 100 years old in the fact that these movies came out in the early 30s and they are still still just as much a part of pop culture now as they were even back then. So well, there is, They're up there with Superman, Batman, Spider-Man. Yeah, you know, these so, characters, yeah. their visages, uh, as iconic, Ronald McDonald and KFC, or Colonel Sanders, they are it. You know, yeah. you look at it, you know who they are. No yep. question about it. All you show a picture of Dracula to nearly anyone and they will say, yes, that's Dracula. Mm. Most people will say it's Frankenstein rather than Frankenstein's monster, but you get the picture. Yeah. You, you got the idea. It's all yeah. good. Mm. All righty. Well, that's probably a nice place for us to wrap up this month. And it seems timely that we're doing horror movies just coming up for Halloween. So just coincidence. We didn't plan it this way. It's just the way the alphabet works. But anyway, if you have any feedback for us, you can jump on our Facebook. We are facebook.com slash the Massive Attack Podcast. You can find us on Twitter as the MA Podcast and you can find our website, which is themapodcast.popin.com. And until next time we speak, Mitch, when we come back to talk about V, Mm -hmm. we will, uh, yeah, I'm not even sure what we're doing for V yet, but I'm sure it will be something good. Maybe we'll just drink a a big crate of V energy drink and see what happens. Can you do that? No, I I can't imagine that would make for a wonderful podcast. But anyway, until we speak again, thank you very much, Mitch. No worries. Bye. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. For my monster from his slab began to rise And suddenly, to my surprise He did the mash He did the monster mash The monster mash It was a graveyard smash He did the mash It got on in a flash He did the mash He did the monster mash
from my laboratory in the castle east to the master bedroom at the vampire's feast. The ghouls all came from their humble abode to get a jolt from my electrode. They did the mash. They did the monster mash. The monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. They did the mash. It caught on in a flash. They did the mash. They did the monster mash. Zombies were having fun. The party had just begun. The guests included Wolfman, Dracula, and his son. The scene was rocky, all were digging the sounds. Igor on chains, backed by his baying hounds. The coffin bangers were about to arrive, but their vocal group, the Crypt Kicker Five. They played the monster mash. The monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. They played the mash. It got on in a flash. They played the mash. They played the monster mash. Out from his coffin, Rex's voice did ring. Seemed he was troubled by just one thing. Opened the lid and shook his fist and said, Whatever happened to my Transylvania twist? It's now the mash. Now the monster mash, the monster mash, and it's a graveyard smash. It's now the mash, it's caught on in a flash. It's now the mash, it's now the monster mash. Now everything's cool, Rack's a part of the band, and my monster mash is the hit of the land. For you, the living, this mash was meant to. When you get to my door, tell them what is said. Then you can mash. Then you can monster mash. The monster mash. And you my graveyard smash. Then you can mash. You'll catch on in a flash. Then you can mash. Then you can monster mash. I am terrible at subtext. I'm pretty ordinary at text.